The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We will talk about what the Brewers can do to regain the fans' trust. We'll also talk about the Valley Oop. And if it was the greatest sports play in Wisconsin history, we will lastly talk about the British Open, a.k.a. the Open Championship, and Cameron Smith, and denying Rory that moment and everything else and what was probably one of the best golf tournaments in a long time as part of our Chuck's Corner. We do every now and again. You got to go full sports, and that's what we're doing today. You know where to find us on social media, Tabbing the Keg on Twitter, Tabbing the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Instagram, is the view's been low, so make sure you're liking those reels. Um, we'd appreciate it. Um, probably means that I need to diversify a little bit more, but that's okay. Um, I will make sure to do that uh, going forward. The algorithm is a tricky bitch, let me tell you. Also, make sure that you're rating and reviewing and that you're already subscribed. If you're new to the program, if you came in from last week and our whole twins to-do to-do and you're kind of giving us a shot, um, that's great. Make sure that you're tuning in. If we are just one of the few podcasts that are actually doing a full week of scheduling during this kind of downtime, also great. Make sure that's that's an even more reason to check us out uh, in these next couple of weeks as some might take some time off. We are not. We are going full steam ahead. We'll have shows all week this week, all week next week, or actually not all next week. I'm in Boston for the end of that week, but more to come there. Um, so we will uh, have full show this week. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers who might not be deserved to be talked about. Turns out that the audio running diary on Friday was the last good thing to happen to the Milwaukee Brewers. Other than that, it had been an absolute shit show the entire weekend. It looked like the Brewers were heading to their second straight win. It looked like the Brewers' first consecutive win since the Tampa Bay Rays uh, at the end of June. Josh Hader then gave up two straight home runs, loaded the bases, and gave up a game-winning grand slam. Craig Council left Josh Hader in, raising a lot of questions about why Craig Council continues to extend the length of the pitchers, whether it's the relievers, whether it's the starters. While Josh Hader is really bad, a lot can be pointed out to Craig Council. Now, I was quite inebriated watching that, um, or not listening, because uh, we were at a lake house and we couldn't get Bally for some reason, which not surprising. Um, Bally continues to remain the woke when it comes to trying to get it on every TV. Not every TV has it. I wasn't like, I'm not going to stream it. I tried to cast it from my phone. I was like, you know what? This isn't working. So then I turned on the radio. I was actually surprised that up in Green Bay area that I was able to get the the game, but I was, and that was great. And so we listened and outside on patio and churchette, then the Brewers give up a grand slam and lose this game. And there's a bad play by Rowdy Telez in there. So it wasn't like all Josh Hader's fault, but that sort of led to a spiral. That sort of led to the Brewers just kind of falling apart. There was no offense on Saturday to speak of. They barely did anything against Alex Cobb. I realize that some people could shrug that off, but Alex Cobb actually has been pitching pretty well in the last month. I don't think that's a water-carrying comment by me. I think that's just pointing out that sometimes we look at pitchers and we're like, oh, this guy sucks, but he's been actually good. Like Even if the underlying metrics don't say that, Sometimes guys are just pitching well and just feeling good. Like look at Chris Flexen, great example. Probably an obscure example, but a good one at that. Flexen is not considered a very good pitcher, but he's been really good for the Mariners for the last month. So you have to respect that. 
And if you get beat by a guy like that, you can't necessarily be hemming and hawing. Same with like a Tyler Wells for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, there are a few others. And you ask Charlie, why do you know this? It's because, well, your boy wagers on, on baseball, so he has to know this type of stuff. But anyways, I digress. So yeah, no runs there. They get screwed on a balk. Uh, it's awful. And then on Sunday, they barely showed up. Craig Council tried to basically steal an inning, for, inning or two excuse me, from Aaron Ashby, and it didn't work at all. It absolutely blew up in his face. Aaron Ashby treats leads like kids treat white shirts and just ruin them and just get them all sorts of messy. Um, it was not good. Uh, gives up two runs. Um, they basically, I think, were trying to settle down Jason Alexander, kind of went with an opener. My dad kind of pointed out he thought it was kind of playoff-like, like get your best out-getters here. And Alexander's definitely not one. He got option to AAA Nashville after the game and for good reason. Alexander... The lights have turned on for him um, after a really good start and after he kind of showed something in the first couple weeks, he's been absolutely dog shit for three weeks and it continued on Sunday and the Brewers, you know, they made it a little bit of a game. I mean, they got five runs. Roddy Telez finally woke up from his two week slumber with a home run and the Brewers sort of, I guess, carried a little bit of momentum in to the, pl- to the break, but at the same time, it's like, lost three straight games, you now have lost five of seven, this month has been pretty bad, and you're not really turning around what was a pretty sour June, and as my guy Mitch Ross pointed out on Twitter, Mitch Ross MKE, uh, my co-host, said the Brewers were 32-18 and 18 on May 30th, since then they're 18-25, and 25. now they're still a half game up in first place, but the vibes have never been lower. I said that on the review yesterday, and I mean it. I don't think anybody really cares about the Milwaukee Brewers right now. I think people don't want to care about the Milwaukee Brewers. I think there are a lot of people who are like, you know what, I'm out. And I think it's going to be really hard to regain those fans because next week you're going to have training camp. Training camp is going to start for the Green Bay Packers. People are going to start focusing their energy towards the Green Bay Packers. That's just natural. Happens. You'll have another section of fans that are going to focus their energy towards the Wisconsin Badgers. And the Wisconsin Badgers will be part of their focus. And paying attention to different battles throughout the defense and offense and talking topics around that team. Then you'll have even others who might just say, all right, my Premier League team or my Bundesliga team is starting in the middle of August, and that's what I'm going to care about. And so I'm out on the Brewers. I think that those are all different examples of people who could just say, you know what, I'm checking out because my other team, the team I may care about more, is playing. And while the Brewers are a playoff team, I'll keep one eye on it, but I am pretty much out. So what can the Brewers do in that time frame and then in other time frames to basically revive this fan base? Because I don't think any part of this fan base is having fun. I think the energy on this team seems off. I don't think that anyone seems very likable besides Willie Adamas. Um, whether it's they're too professional, whether it's that all the stuff, the infinity arm and the bell and, and all that other cutesy shit just doesn't seem to work. It's kind of like when the scene in Step Brothers where they're wearing tuxedos uh, for the janitor job and Seth Rogen's like, yeah, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> like That's kind of how I think people feel about the Infinity Arm and the Bell at this point. It just seems like 
there is something missing. There seems to be a little bit of a disconnect. And who knows where that disconnect is coming from. So what could the Brewers do to regain the trust of the fans? Number one is pretty obvious. The Brewers make a big trade. The Brewers trade for Josh Bell, who I think is a name that's been thrown around there. I still think if they traded for Ramon Lariano, I think more people would be a fan of it. Even though I know that some are saying, well, Lariano is not having as good of a season as Bell. I get it, but Lariano would immediately help you in center field. If the Brewers were to get a guy like Trey Mancini, I think that's doubtful. I think Baltimore will keep all their guys. But if they were to get a guy like Trey Mancini, who could immediately help in terms of offensive production. If they were able to get somebody, trying to think who else is on the block, but they were able to get an impact bat, I think that's a big deal. I think they were able to get another starting pitcher. I don't think that moves the needle as much. I think that actually would lead to more frustration, honestly. I, I think there are misconceptions about the Brewers' offense, but I do think the Brewers' offense ha- goes quiet too often, and there are too many of their notable guys that are not that great in run- with runners in scoring position. Hunter Renfro, Julio, or Julio, Luis Urias, as well as Jace Peterson. So I, I think that's you know kind of a worry, and that's why a bat is probably needed. I'm still on the side of, I think, They'll be okay with a starter starting pitching. I probably prefer that. But we're talking about regaining the overall fan trust and keeping them engaged. And I think a impact bat would definitely do that. And that's the type of move that maybe the Brewers need to make. The other thing I think is showing yourself up against good teams. Now, the Brewers really don't have that chance before training camp, Premier League, um, trying to think of the, the other example. Oh, Badger football. Yeah, before that all is getting rolling, right? They really won't have that opportunity. They do have like a six-game stretch with the Twins and the Red Sox, but that's it. Like that's their only hard opponents really for the next month or half month. Then in the middle of August, you have the Rays at home for two, you have the Cardinals for three, the Dodgers for four, then you go to Chicago for three. Now I'll, I'll pause there because you're like, well, Charlie, what does Chicago have to do with this stretch? I still think it's important the Brewers show up against Chicago. They have not played well against Chicago this year. I think it's vital for the Brewers to take advantage of that. Who knows also what that Cubs team looks like. Will Contreras be dealt? Will someone else be dealt? Will the Cubs be a shell of themselves by that point in the middle of August? Then you go to LA for three. So that's a 15-game stretch. So Brewers come out of that and they're 10-5, and right? They play really good baseball. They look like a playoff team. They hang with the Dodgers. They don't embarrass themselves. Then I think all of a sudden you look at this and you say, okay, maybe this Brewer team is something. If they can hang with the Dodgers, who at this point I think are the second best team in the NL, so the Brewers would have to play the Dodgers in a five-game series. If the Brewers can hang with the Dodgers, maybe all of a sudden then people become believers again. People start paying more attention that maybe the Brewers can do this. The other stretch, and it'll be a little too late for this. At that point, people will either be out or they'll be in. But the Brewers do have a stretch in the middle of September where they have the Cardinals at home for two, and then three against the Yankees and three against the Mets, which is extremely hard, um, not easy in the slightest. But the Brewers do have an eight-game stretch where they could make some noise. Now, if the Brewers never regain this trust and let's say they, they careen off, it's going to be a big deal. 
it's going to be a big deal of whether David Stearns was engaged. Does David Stearns then go to the New York Mets next season? Do the Brewers then start sort of a quote-unquote rebuild? I've already heard people say that they should try to deal Burns as well, which is kind of wild to me because I'm like, all right, do not want to keep any of your talent. Um, I agree on the Hater stuff 100%. Not, not in season, but in the off season, I do think Josh Hader should be moved. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think you look at a team like the Padres, right, who have a bad bullpen. I don't think that bullpen's getting better. I'm sure they'll try to fix it at the deadline. But if you could get a guy like C.J. Abrams on that and, you know, a couple of their young pitchers, maybe Adrian Morjan, I don't think Mackenzie Gore, I think probably the, he's a little bit too, too good. But I don't know, maybe Mackenzie Gore should be in that mix. I'm not sure. But I do think you can get a hell of a package from San Diego for Josh Hader. And I know San Diego's had interest in Hader in the past. Um, there will obviously be other teams that express interest and that have the talent, whether it's the New York Yankees, whether it's the New York Mets. But I also don't think the Yankees and Mets will be in it with how good Clay Holmes has been and Edwin Diaz. I mean, Edwin Diaz has been the reliever of the year so far. And I think he, he it's better than Josh Hader because he's just been more in more high leverage. Oh, sorry, not Hader. Uh, Devin Williams, I'm Josh Hader. With the month he's had, I don't know how you can call him the reliever of the year. And look, at that's a huge, you know, check marker against him and why he can't be the reliever of the year. So we'll see what happens if the trust is never regained. Now, the fan base is interesting, right? You have Bart Winkler kind of raging online yesterday about Brewer fans and that Brewer fans just don't get it and that everybody is just, you know, carrying the water basically for this team and Bart acting kind of like he's better than everybody else and acting that he knows more. I like Bart. I'd have Bart on the show. I would love to talk to Bart. But I I do think Bart gets in this mode where he thinks he's different than every other local radio host. I will say to Bart's credit, he's the only one that pays this much attention. And he deserves credit for that. I, I don't think anybody grinds as hard as Bart in terms of watching games and analyzing games. I give Bart credit for that. That said, Bart wants some kind of cookie for being fucking different. And I don't think that works. I don't think that's the how it's supposed to work. Like, you don't have to do that much work, first of all. And if you were doing that much work, then why the fuck aren't you on the drive time? Have you been given that opportunity? Shouldn't you be doing drive time radio? Isn't that when the most people are on? Now, granted, you might have a little bit of an advantage in the morning, but you're also competing with, with Steve Zabin, who I think is a joke. Shouldn't be on local radio, but that's another story for another time. And you're competing with Jen Lada. Mark Shamara, Gabe Neitzel, who are pretty prominent names, uh, especially Lada and Chewy, as well as they're going to have Brett Favre starting, and that's going to put a major impact on your ratings. But I'm not here to talk about local media. I'm here to talk about fan sentiment. And the fact is, is that Bart was upset that fans are giving the Brewers a longer leash. I finally replied to Bart. I was like, I can't take it. I've seen it on my feed the whole night. And I'm like, look, the Brewers can play bad baseball. Brewers are playing bad baseball. I don't think any of us disagree. But I also know that this is the longest season of any of them. And we cannot compare the Brewers to the Packers. That is like comparing a guy who is absolutely jacked to a fucking fat ass. All right? It does not compute. There is no real comparison here. That's like comparing eating at Ardent versus eating at fucking McDonald's. Okay? Like, it just does not work. The comparison is not there. 
and you cannot make it. I don't like cross sports comparisons. I'm not a huge fan of them. And this is exactly why. He basically was like, well, if, if LaFleur did this, people will be up in arms, things like that. The bar is higher for the Green Bay Packers. It just is. There are more fans. There are more people that care. There are. It's just the bar is going to be higher for the Green Bay Packers. That's And they have Aaron Rodgers, who is the best player in the game. If the Brewers had Mike Trout on their team, I guarantee you the ex- expectations would be significantly higher. If they had Juan Soto, if they had uh, Shohei Otani, if they had Manny Machado, if they had a, one of Bryce Harper, if they, if they had one of those big names, I promise you that the ex- expectations would be much higher on the Milwaukee Brewers. And you're like, well, what about Christian Yelich? Well, what about Christian Yelich? Christian Yelich has not been the player that he was. And that's why people are so disappointed in Yelich is because they expected Yelich to be at this level. They expected him to be a perennial all-star when he signed the deal. And it just never turned out that way. So that's why the Brewers get a little bit of, of rope. The other thing is that old heads will tell you the Brewers were really fucking bad. The Brewers were an absolute joke of a baseball team in the 90s. The Brewers weren't that good in the 80s besides the World Series run that everybody fucking clings on to. And even in 2000s, they weren't that good. They had a long stretch of losing. There are many people, mostly in the Generation X community and maybe very older millennials, who experienced that pain and who understand what that was like. So they're like, you know what? Like, it's fine. Like, we'll, we'll be all right. And I think other people are pointing to it's a long season. Look, the Atlanta Braves got fucking hot in August and they rode that hot streak for the rest of the way. The Milwaukee Brewers could do the exact same thing. Another team in the NL or AL could do the exact same thing. I think if I was doing a Mariners podcast, there would be a real fear that are the Mariners peaking too early? And how do the Mariners maintain this after they eventually lose? Because they will lose. I mean, they've won 14 straight games. It's fucking incredible. But I, I would be significantly worried that at some point it's going to even out. The law of lar- large averages comes into play with everything. Okay? So yes, the Brewers could easily get hot. You Also, too, to point out, the Washington Nationals were in the gutter for the first two months of the year. And then they basically came on a hot streak in 2019. And once that hot streak started, they never really looked back. It takes a while. Baseball is a long ass fucking season. You can't look at it in a vacuum. You cannot treat it like a Packer season. You Hell, I don't know if you can even treat it like a Bucks season. It's half, it's du- almost double what the Bucks play, right? So how can you even treat it like a Bucks season? You can't. The, yes, are games now more important after the All-Star break? 100%. That Colorado series is very important to the Milwaukee Brewers because I think it sets the tone for the rest of the season. And we'll talk about that. We, I think we'll do a show on that on Thursday or Friday because I, I really do believe that. I think it sets the tone, especially when trust and confidence is at an all-time low. But you can't compare the different teams right now. You can be mad about it. You can be upset that the Brewers aren't playing well. But to be like, why aren't you more upset? Is It, it misses the point. You have to look at it all together. And just because you are more mad doesn't make you better than anybody else. 
You can be more mad. You can say you're out. You can say the Brewers aren't going to be a playoff team. You should say the Brewers should sell. You can do all that fucking shit. But at the end of the day, it's not going to really help anything. Because it can change in a fucking heartbeat. Baseball's weird like that. Look at the Mariners. The Mariners were absolutely dead this season. The Mariners had all this hype. Everybody was like, this is the year for the Mariners. They missed the playoffs by a game last year. If they had the seventh team last year, the Mariners would have been in. They've had a 16-year drought. They have this young, talented Julio Rodriguez, who I think is one of the better young players in baseball. All of it was there. The table was fucking set for them. And they disappointed. And they didn't play well. And then all of a sudden, they started stringing together wins. And look at that. They're 14, they've won 14 straight. They're now the second wild card comfortably in. I think they're like two up from the Toronto Blue Jays or one up at this point. So they're feeling good. So that's to say one hot streak can change everything. And we'll keep waiting for it. But I'll tell you what. There are a lot of fans that do not have the time or the patience. So if the Brewers are going to get on a hot streak, they better do it soon. All right, let's move on to the Valley Oop and one of the greatest plays, if not the greatest play in Wisconsin sports history. The Valley Oop happened a year ago yesterday. Uh, I probably should have done some social stuff on it. I didn't. That's a mistake. Um, It happens. I also wasn't with my computer. Um, It was was a hard weekend for me content-wise, I'll be honest. I posted the AJ Dillon thing to my Twitter, but I really should have got that up everywhere. It was Saturday night, so I'm like, I'm worried about the views, but the views took off um, everywhere I looked. So I'm pretty fucking pissed about it, but I am going to do some sort of AJ Dillon thing this morning. So hopefully that does well and hopefully that takes off. But yeah, it's the vibes are, are a little low for your boy, but that's okay. That's all right. Well, it happens. Um, the, the, that's the content game, baby. But anyways, Moving uh, on because you guys don't care about that. Uh, the Valley Hoop happened a year ago uh, yesterday, and it was a great play. It was an iconic play. I watched the review from that night. Uh, but if you watched that review uh, when I do the Bucks stuff, you would have thought the Bucks won the championship. Uh, I was going absolutely absurd. Broadhouse was completely packed. It was a Saturday night. It was an awesome game. It was one of those that you will always remember where you were. The moment the Bucks had an awful first quarter, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis all played out of their ass. The Suns should have won that game nine times, nine and a half times out of ten, and the Bucks got it done. It was an all-time classic from the Milwaukee Bucks, and then they come home and they win game six. They don't get nervous. There's no jitters. There were a little jitters, actually. First half wasn't great, but then the Bucks go on and win a championship, which will be tomorrow uh, which will be the anniversary. So, and we'll, I'm sure, do something on the podcast about that, um, whether it's with Mitch or just me uh, talking through the Bucks one year anniversary. So, looking at the value and the incredible play that was made there with Drew and Giannis Antetokounmpo, is it the best play ever? I, I think it might be. I, I think it's the best play in Bucks history. I don't think there's anything that comes close to it. Bucks won a championship. It was, it was a 30, 40 year drought, 40 year drought for the Milwaukee Bucks when it comes to championships. The Milwaukee Bucks sort of, that was their crowning achievement. That was their moment that sort of signified the Bucks being here and the Bucks still having that opportunity to be the team of this next decade. 
got a long way to go. We don't know what that will look like. But the Bucks, I think, have more of a case than anyone else in basketball. And that was their moment. The Milwaukee Bucks have been down two. They were down two one. They go up to two. They tie it to two. It's an incredibly intense basketball game. Like we mentioned, Phoenix played out of their ass, and the Bucks still win with that value. It is the best play in Bucks history, hundred percent, no question about it. Does it beat Wisconsin sports history? I think if you think about the Brewers, who we just mentioned, the Brewers have a lot of great plays, but they've never won a championship. It's hard for me to consider any big play from the Milwaukee Brewers at the level of the Valley Oop. I don't know if it exists. I think if the Brewers were to win a World Series in my lifetime and there was a big home run, a walk-off home run, pending on the scenario, I think that's the only way that it gets to the Valley Oop level. So it's a Game 5 or it's a Game 4 or even a Game 6, right, and it wins it. I think that's the only way that it gets on the level of the Valley Oop, right? I think for the Green Bay Packers, I think the Ice Bowl is obviously iconic. But remember, that that wasn't to win a that was that was to win a championship, wasn't it? Uh, so the Ice Bowl, the Ice Bowl, the sneak, that one is probably right there. If you're talking about what's close to the Valley Oop, it's probably Bart Starr's sneak. I have to I have to consider that. I have to really I know it's a long time ago, but the Bart the Bart Star sneak has to be considered. You have to consider the oh that yeah, you have to consider the Bart Star. That that's just that's just one. It was a championship game. To me, that has to be right there. I think it's a great debate whether it's the ice bowl or it's the Valley Oop. I think the generation ahead of us would say it is the Ice Bowl. I think our generation would say it's the Valley Oop, but I think those are probably the two best plays in Wisconsin sports history. I think from a dramatic standpoint, the Valley Oop has a little more theatrics with the Alley Oop and the emotion and the slow-mo cameras. But if you think about the Ice Bowl, you think about that moment, it's the NFL championship game, you're on the goal line, the Cowboys are your rival and you sneak it in to win the fucking game is pretty iconic. And I don't know if you could replicate that in today's NFL. That's the other crazy thing about that. You will never have a play like that again because the elements will not be there. The only way that that play happens is in an NFC or AFC championship game. And I don't think that's as significant. I think you call back, like if... Just a hypothetical, Aaron Rodgers sneaks one in against Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win the NFC title at the buzzer. I think that we'd talk about it forever and be this major moment, but you still have to win the fucking Super Bowl. So you'd still have, whether it's the Bills, the Chargers, the Chiefs standing in your way, you'd still have to win another game. And if you did it in the Super Bowl, well, it's a controlled environment. I, I think... Guys like Mad Dog Russo would say it's not the same. It doesn't exist. So I think the Ice Bowl is right there with the Valley Oop. I think it is a great conversation. I think that's one you could go all day on. I'm helping local radio because I think that's the only thing close. I think for the Packers and their Super Bowl, Desmond Howard return is pretty big. If you think about the Desmond Howard return, that game was close, and then all of a sudden Desmond Howard breaks it open with the kick return. I think that is on the same level. Again, I don't think the 
the time of the when the return happened. It was the third quarter. So I think it's like a notch below. I think the same for like the Nick Collins interception. Like the Nick Collins interception return, I think is probably the play of that Super Bowl. But again, that's that's down a level. Well, there was the strip sack by Clay Matthews, right? But I I still I still don't put that on the same level of the value or the ice bowl. Like I, I think those are the two. I really do. And I I you could go a hundred ways with whether the value or the ice bowl is better. Um, I think that is an awesome discussion topic and one that you could really make a case either way. And I, I think part of it is who was there, right? Not a lot of people were watching the 76 cha- or 67 championship game. My mom was. Um, my dad probably was. They were both like 13 at the time, which is probably telling my parents' age, which I'm sure they wouldn't appreciate, but that's okay. Uh, but still, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of people around that are that are probably listening to the show who were around for the ice bowl. And I think that's a great debate, but I, I'm excited. So let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Instagram. Maybe we'll do a poll about that. I'm sure it will be heavily weighted to the value but we'll see. All right, let's end today's show with a Chuck's Corner, but Sports Chuck's Corner, uh, where we're talking about the Open Championship. The Open Championship was, I think, the tournament of the year for golf. I think golf had a lot of drama this year. I think it was as good of a majors run as you're going to get. But I would say that the Open Championship takes the cake in terms of best major of the year if you were doing the ESPYs of it. I think the ESPYs are this week, maybe Wednesday. Don't really give a shit too much about them, but it's something for sports content. And it's a smart move by ESPN to have the ESPYs during this moment. If you were to do major of the year though, I think the Open takes the cake. Unbelievably exciting, just absolute drama. You had Cam Smith come from behind with a red hot putter to beat Rory McIlroy a 30 on the back nine, absolutely incredible from Smith. I don't see this as Rory choking. I really don't. I, I think I have a hard time with that moniker. I think we always like to think that athletes choke, that athletes fail to deliver. We know as Packer fans, we get it all the time with Aaron Rodgers, but there are other elements that all obviously go in to someone letting down. I know Rory couldn't make a putt. I fully understand that. But at the same time, Cam Smith was just that good. And he played out of his ass. And that's obviously been a comment we've used now in two segments today. But still, like, he played so well. Played so fucking well. I don't know how anyone looks at this and says, well, that was Rory choking. If Rory made a couple more birdies, does the what, what Cam Smith did matter? No. But it's a hard course. It's a very difficult course, even though 20 under happened. The reason why 20 under happened is not necessarily because this course is you know sort of overrated. It's because that there are opportunities to get you know eagle birdie attempts more so than most courses, right? It's a short course, and that's the part of it where you see the higher numbers. But it's still one that will trick you. I mean, you had Matt Fitzpatrick complain about it, right? Just won the U.S. Open. But yeah, I have to rank the Open Championship number one. I think number two is probably the PGA. Justin Thomas coming from behind. The playoff. 
the Mito collapse, everything else. Like, I think the PGA is right there, but it's still the PGA, right? Southern Hills isn't that exciting of a, of a venue. That tournament was kind of so-so for three days. I think for three days, no one really gave a shit about it. It was not necessarily a likable tournament. And then in the thir- last day, it kind of turned on its head. It's like all of a sudden you've had enough drinks and that girl actually looks hot now. Like that's the PGA Championship. So I actually think maybe the PGA Championship is three. Like the US Open, I think would actually be number two because of the back and forth with Zal Torres and Fitzpatrick and other people that were in the mix. That thing wasn't decided on Saturday. It wasn't between two guys. It was a fun weekend. It was a unique course that we hadn't seen. The course was hard. It was what the U.S. Open should have been. So I would probably put the U.S. Open too. This is actually an impromptu tap list. I didn't realize it, but it definitely is. If you're unfamiliar with the tap list, we just list things. So I would say number four would be the Masters. While the Masters got exciting, like it was still Scotty Scheffler's to lose. Like Scotty Scheffler did what Rory McIlroy didn't. Like if you want to compare the two, that's the comparison. Like Rory McIlroy needed to do what Scheffler did on Sunday. Scheffler made enough putts to keep everybody away from him. And he ran and hide, ran and hid, uh, good grammar there. But uh, while Rory, Kalamar, Morikawa, and others made a push at the top, but Scheffler did just enough to kind of keep his distance. And that's why the Masters finishes last for me, because while it was exciting, it, nest- it was Scotty's tournament to lose on Friday night. Like, Scotty just was lighting it up Friday, and he never really looked back. So... I thought this was an excellent golf season. There's still some golf to be played. I know some people have and haw and are like, we should have a PGA Championship in August. I hear you from a sports scheduling perspective. I do wonder if that's going to change back. I know they were really hyped about getting May and thinking these four majors and not spacing them out and then having sort of a four-month stretch. I doubt they change that. I'm sure that people who are in the PGA have been planning for that, right? Um, the question will be, will they let live players into the PGA Championship since they don't let, allow them in any other PGA-sanctioned sh- events? Will the PGA Championship be the weakest major field in a long time? If you have people still jumping to live, you had Hendrick, Hendrick Stenson uh, jump to live uh, after the Open, which then stripped him of the Ryder Cup candidacy. Really kind of chicken shit by Stenson, just on an aside, because he waited until after the Open, so he couldn't field questions about it. He also said being the captain of the Ryder Cup was a dream come true. Um, so just a complete fucking liar, um, which I guess money talks. I mean, we, we saw, we've seen it in our U.S. government, how money talks with Saudi Arabia. So I, I can see how these players just take the money and fucking run. That's here and over there. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it's a great golf golf major year and now we'll have still some good tournaments i mean the decks two are pretty bad um with the detroit rock or so i think it's the 3m this week and then it's the rocket mortgage uh open the following week Wyndham starts picking up and then you get the three fedex cup ones um one being at southwind in memphis is fucking brutal they have to be in memphis in mid-august that is pure swamp ass city um, can't can't like that. That that can't be good. 
Uh, but we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see if I can make a run in my golf pool. I'm 10th. I don't seem to be leaving the 10th spot. I just stay there. I never leave. Um, that's, I guess, my spot for life. All right, that does it for today's show. Uh, Mitch and I will be back this week. Um, don't know when. I thought probably Wednesday or Thursday, depending on when Mitch wants to do it. But if he wants to do it on the anniversary of the Bucks tomorrow or wants to talk about the anniversary, maybe we'll pop on and do a show today or a show tomorrow. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.